This episode of The Full English Breakfast was produced in association with the Chess Club and Scholastic Center of St. Louis, stlouischessclub.org, and the new World Chess Hall of Fame. Visit worldchesshof.org. Where's my taste? Where's my taste? I want my taste. I want my taste. Hey, hey. This is Alexander Kostinyuk, and you're listening to The Full English Breakfast with Lawrence Trent and Stephen Gordon. This is episode number 13 of The Full English Breakfast. I'm Macaulay Peterson. We'll talk World Cup action and hear from one of the players, the Ukrainian Alexander Moisienko, plus Alexandra Kostenyuk and Mark Arnold on the Kings vs. Queens tournament in St. Louis. But first, let's say hello to International Master Lawrence Trent and Grandmaster Stephen Gordon. Steve, I hope you're as happy as I am right now. Not only have we had Vishian and intro this show, we've now had a former women's world champion as well. We are literally just aiming at the best here. I hope you're happy. I am very happy. I am ecstatic. I hope she listens to this show anyway. Stephen, before we start, we're reaching you by phone. Where? I am relocated in Ipswich at the moment. So the next year, I'm a chess teacher at a school down here called Woodbridge School. Um, So I'm just settling into the new job at the moment. And how's that going? Okay, yeah. I've got a range of abilities. One or two are pretty decent, and they'll be playing in the British National League that's coming up soon. So yeah, it's going okay so far. For those of you that don't know... Ipswich is actually a step up from Manchester, and that's saying something. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, both pretty far from Khantimansisk, which is our top story, and the World Cup. Pyotr Venyaminovich Svidler, 35 years old and coming off a big win at the Russian Championship, now uh, winning the World Cup, and it was a tough, tough field. He had to get by Caruana in the third round, got a Kamsky in the fourth round, a resurgent Judith Polgar in the quarters, also a big story of the tournament, and then uh, Ponomaryov and finally Alexander Grishuk. So, Svidler, back in the saddle again? Uh, no two ways about it. Funny story is I've actually beaten Peter Siddler, everybody. So oh, that's, that's a funny story. Oh, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought I'd drop that in there, you know. No, but I mean, seriously, I mean, it's a great result. He's obviously been in a rich vein of form recently, but, you know, nobody has ever doubted how good this guy is. I mean, this guy is seriously, seriously good. I know he's had a slight lull in his rating, perhaps, in the, you know, in the past few years hanging around the 27, 20, 27, 30 mark. And now I think in the live ratings, he's up to about 27.60. It's great. And do you remember, Steve, back in that, well, that's when we all met, isn't it? Back in Gibraltar when he won it a few years ago. And he gave yeah, that fantastic speech. 2009, I think it was, yeah. And he, uh, he managed to win the tournament there. Um, well, my take on things was that he seemed to be playing with a lot more confidence. Every time, especially with the black pieces, he was trying something new and trying to, find some uncharted territory for his opponent, and even if he had a bit of a dodgy position, in pretty much every round he was outplaying people from these strange positions that he'd found for a middle game. I mean, it was just polar opposite of what was going on in the candidates' matches, where people were just having out after 15 minutes with Queen's Gambit declines. 
Fiddler was really trying to just create chances, and I think Fortune favoured the Brave in this in this case. The impressive thing is with this particular tournament is that every single game was a massive game, basically. There was no easy games whatsoever, so I think that makes the feat even greater. Um, and, you know, I, he's one of my favourite players. He really is, and he's such a lovely bloke. I've actually had the pleasure of speaking to him a few times, and, you know, really down to earth, loves cricket. Uh, you know, he, he deserved the, to win the tournament, so thumbs up. His game against Ponomario was... Unbelievable! This Grunfeld, where he sacrificed oh, an exchange, um, oh, just just such good understanding. It's so difficult at the start of a tournament like that to pick a winner because you you look at the field, and there are conceivably twenty guys who can win it. You know, I I had high hopes for Mickey, and he goes out in round two, and then yeah. also I'm thinking Kai Yakim's looking great, and he no, goes he down to Polgar to early. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's just so difficult to pick a winner. I think, you know, you've got to you've got to go in there with some balls and really really give it a good go. And I think Stridler mm. did that, and uh, you know, came out on top. By the time we reached the semifinals, uh, we had well several of the top seeds. There were, of course, a few upsets, and probably one of the biggest was that game you just mentioned, uh, Polgar's upset over Karyakin, since he was coming in as the the highest rated in the field. And Polgar, of course, obviously has been a top 10 player, but uh, I, I think probably few people would have expected her to do so well, beating Mosesian, Karyakin, and then Dominguez to get all the way to the quarterfinals. Yeah, that was yeah. a close from with Dominguez, wasn't it? But um, oh, yeah. yeah, I guess with these two game matches, it's it's quite easy for a top seed to go, especially if you if you just throw in one bad game. You know, you win a game with black, and suddenly you're in the driving seat. You can just be sensible with the white bits and uh, and make it through. The video, the live streaming was excellent. I think it was in HD. You know, obviously, there was live commentary. Lander, who did it, wasn't it, who did the English commentary. Um, And that was great, and that was live for the whole show. The live streaming was the same as they had used uh, several times uh, already, with the only difference being that they added the English language audio track. So they've had the HD uh, cameras for the candidates' matches, for example, in, in May. Uh, but the HD video did come in handy at uh, one key moment for uh, for the spectators, and uh, that was this uh, this incident with Alexander Moisienko and David Navarra. It was kind of a, a fascinating story, but uh, having read several accounts, uh, it, it nevertheless left me wanting to try to get it straight from someone who was there. So I phoned up Moisienko in his home in Kharkov, Ukraine, uh, to find out exactly what happened. Uh, when uh, when we played uh, second game with with David, uh, when uh, he wanted to make a move for bishop d6, uh, but uh, he accidentally he he touched he touched the king, and I was in time pressure, and I after automatically show my fingers to to his king. And uh, he stopped the clock and said me on Russian. Uh, uh, he said me, "What I do not know which piece I touch first, but uh, I I want to play Bishop D6." What was the the nature of of the touch? Is it like his hand brushed with the king as he was reaching for the bishop? Yeah, it it was an accidental touch. For it was clear. Right. And uh, when, when I when I just. Uh, 
have uh, like few seconds to to understand. I I said to David, okay, you 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 can play bishop d6. It's no problem. So in effect, and, it uh, wasn't even necessary for the arbiter to make some kind of a ruling. It was it was much quicker than that. Yeah, it was very it was it was very 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 quick. Of course, they, if if it will be like I will claim that it, they will will uh, discuss or no, it will be some 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 time. But that was just uh, just a second, normal playing situation, and we just we just uh, continue our game. When he offer a draw in in uh, in final position, it, I was shocked completely. He he's uh, he just gifted. I think he he, he gifted me a draw, and uh, he's like 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 a noble, like something from medieval because. He can, he can, uh, he can win the game, and and then he said, he said me what I, I was not sure again, uh, I was not sure which which piece I touched, and I I want to what, to offer a draw because I want to to decide this match on tiebreak. That was uh, that was shock. So you uh, you naturally you accepted the draw offer immediately, as you said, sort of out of uh, shock at having the offer occur. Did you have time, or did you did you even uh, sort of consider declining uh, in, in in the situation? It or? was like move. I don't remember one hundred fifteen or something like that. And uh, last seventy moves I played on like on defense, and I tried to make a draw by. By 50 rules move because I I defend good in the end, but he he break my defense and he offered a draw. I just accepted. I did not understand. Well, once it became clear that that this was a kind of a as you said a noble gesture, a a, a gift of a draw connected to the earlier situation, did that make it? Harder to play the tiebreak in a way because this. Is yes, a yes, yes. After the game, I just wanted to to, to did not come to to the tiebreak, and uh, and then I call home and ask some friends. Decided to play, but I did not feel it like it. It's impossible to just to to really really fight to concentrate in this kind of situation. Anyway, I, after the losing, I even, when you lose, you feel like really bad, yes. But in that situation, I, I, when I lose, I just was even satisfied because it's, it must be happened in our match. And he's a really, he's a really good, uh, good chess player and uh, he's like person, unique, unique person in, in chess world. So Moisenko is saying there at the end that uh, Navarra is unique, a unique person in the chess world. Uh, what did you make of this story? First of all, I think it's got to be clear what when you can enforce touch moves. And now, if my opponent brushes a piece with their hand, I completely ignore it. They pretty much have to have hold of the piece, and then I'm going to enforce it. Now, funnily enough, Lauren sat next to me in a tournament in the only case where I've had to force someone to play a touch move. Do you remember that, Lauren? It was at the World Under-18 Championships in the last round. 
I oh was going mental. Yeah, I do remember this, actually. We were in Crete, I think. That's correct. My opponent wanted to play a move D7 to D6, and it would have lost him a piece. And he had hold of his D-paw, and he pushed it to D6, left it there for a few seconds with his hand on the piece, put it back, and then started to think again. And then five minutes later, he moved a completely different piece. He went bishop takes c3 check eventually. And as soon as he picked up his bishop, I started running around the room. <laughs> I went and found a referee straight away and uh, got him over. And eventually, he conceded that he'd touched his piece and, and played the move. But in this case... In this case, Moisienko, I think, has taken a little bit of flack for making... A, an indication of a touch move at all. But now that I've spoken to him, and this was one of the reasons why I wanted to, to hear the story from him directly, as you as you heard there, it was more of a of just a knee-jerk, you know, instinctive reaction that you make when you're in time trouble, not sort of thinking it through, and the entire event was over in a few seconds. So it's not like he was calculating, you know, that he was trying to rattle David. He just instinctively pointed at the piece and then immediately realized that that was silly and he wasn't about to make a, an actual claim and just continued. And it was really more to say something about Navara and the kind of, of person that he is that this would come around to bother him later in the game so much so that he would want to offer the draw and take it to the tie breaks. It's a little bit tragic in that sense that, that, that this was on his brain because for most people I think it would have just immediately put that behind them. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess everyone in the chess world knows that David Navarro is probably the nicest guy you're ever going to meet. He's so apologetic. I mean, overly so. He probably immediately, as soon as my Venko points, he's, he's feeling guilty about something, even if he doesn't know what it is. So it's funny what you do in time trouble. I mean, I've watched, I've watched mates in time trouble. I've been there myself where... You just you just forget how to play chess or the rules of the game, and it just becomes ridiculous when you've got no time left. So this knee-jerk reaction from Moisenko to put his hand out and point at a piece, has, it's been blown out of proportion for me, really. Um, I don't agree with Navarro offering a draw in a winning position because you should not be offering your opponent a get-out-of-jail card when you've won the position. Lawrence, if it had happened to you... I'll tell you what... Would you have offered the draw at the end if you had the winning position? I might do a Mark Hebden, and I'm, yeah, if Mark listens to this, well, hi, Mark. Um, but for, <laughs> I'm hoping Mark said this, but um, years ago, instead of offering a draw, he actually offered his opponent the opportunity, would you like to resign? Uh, so, you know, I'll be there rather than offering the draw. Um, would I offer the draw? No, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a red-blooded capitalist, so I would have thought, you know, sod that, there's another $10,000 in the bag here, and, you know, he might feel bad, but, you know, life goes on. That's the world of sales. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I almost feel bad here because... I'm criticising Navarra for being too nice, and I shouldn't really be doing that. He's he's done everything to try and play the game in a fair way and be be a good sportsman. Quick exit question for you: This tournament, the World Cup, was supposed to determine three qualifiers to the next candidate cycle, which for many months now has been assumed to be a series of matches, much like occurred earlier this year. But going into the finals, FIDE, without announcing it, 
uh, uploaded a new version of the regulations for the candidate cycle, which substitutes uh, that it will be instead a double round robin tournament, uh, meaning that that this was something that was changed even in the middle of the last stage of the World Cup. Yeah, so they, uh, completely ridiculous. Why can't we just start a setup that is in place? I mean, I'm not saying the new format is bad. I think I actually I read somewhere that the majority of the top players prefer this double round, you know, format. But that's besides the point. The principle is, you know, you suddenly don't change the whole dynamic of a tournament you do it either before preferably so everybody knows what they're playing for or you do it afterwards and people will be a bit pissed off but at least they know something needs to be done a quick program note congratulations to listener simon godfrey who won this month's drawing for a dortmund program signed by all players in that event Thanks very much, Simon. Send me your address, and I'll put it in the mail to you. Thanks to all supporters of the show. To be entered into the next drawing, you can find the donate button on our homepage at thefeb.com. Well, we talked about uh, Judith Polgar's surprise success in Khantimansisk. Uh, in fact, by advancing to the quarterfinals, she was forced to withdraw from the Kings versus Queens tournament in St. Louis, which I uh, attended and produced the live commentary show there. It was a, a Schaifeningen tournament with uh, all men on the Kings, all women on the Queens, but with the selection of players uh, made so that there was a rating balance between the, uh, the two teams. And the other interesting thing about it was that they were playing a half of the event in Chess 960, or Fisher Random as it's more commonly known in the U.S., and the other half in Rapid. So uh, not since the Mainz Chess Classic, uh, which was retired in 2010, have we seen uh, this caliber of players playing uh, Chess 960. I quite enjoyed watching some of the 960 games. I mean, Nakamura shone through as the, as the top guy again. But I did notice that in these Fisher Random games, after say, 10 or 15 moves that elapsed, the positions started to look like pretty normal chess positions again. Did you see any of these games, Lawrence? I only saw bits and bobs. I mean, Fisher Random has always interested me because I'm like some of the other uh, (laughs) half-decent players around who hasn't got that much time to dedicate to opening preparation now so you know i think it's it is a viable way to demonstrate uh somebody's genuine strength uh and understanding of chess well i quite like it really because well with some of the top tournaments that we've been watching especially i keep going back to these candidates matches but in some cases it was just boring to watch the guys play 20 moves and then agree a draw in openings that have just been worked out so it, it's great to see some fish around them, and you get straight away you can get some action from from different setups of the pieces on the back row. I've got a question from a caller though here. He probably knows a little more than we do about this. But I got told in the past that there are some fish around them positions. So the start of the game where you can you can place the the eight pieces in different positions. Some of the fish around them positions might be close to a false win for white. Now, the question is, do the organisers of the tournament know that, and how do they select the Fisher Random positions that get played? Well, in fact, one of the representatives from the Chess Tigers, the, the guys that organised Mainz, 
uh, Eric Van Reim was was present in St. Louis for most of the tournament, and we ha- I talked about this with him at one point. Uh, in fact, that's a little bit of an urban legend, it seems. I mean, some players argue this, but um, but I don't think anyone has ever shown such a starting position where White would have close to a winning advantage. There may be some where where the uh, the starting position favors one side or the other slightly, but at, at least not enough to have to uh, to throw out positions or take take uh, certain positions off the table. That's quite nice to hear that the fish around them isn't spoiled by a lot of these positions not being feasible for a proper game. I talked to a couple of the players in St. Louis. The first one we'll hear from is uh, Alexandra Kostenyuk, who uh, was nice enough to do our intro as well, and thanks for that. But she also had been the uh, world champion among women at Chess 960 for one of the events in Mainz uh, back in 2008 uh, when she beat, actually, Katerina Lachno, who was also playing on the Queens team in a final match. So both uh, Kostenyuk and Lachno had quite a bit of experience uh, coming in. And uh, I spoke to her right after the closing ceremony, uh, walking back to the hotel uh, where there was a, a final dinner for the players. Have you played much uh, Chess 960 since Mainz? Well, usually I play like one tournament a year. The, um, in Switzerland, they have the Swiss Chess 960 Championship right before the Bill Festival starts. If my schedule allows it, I play there. And this year I played, actually I played pretty well. I took uh, the bronze medal. In this event, I don't know what happened, but... My chess 960 result is 2 out of 5, and I'm not, of course, satisfied with this result. But chess 960, I think, you really, it shows your uh, form very well, your current condition. Because in a classical chess game, you have more time to think, you have this uh, opening lines that are known or have been analyzed by you at home, and you can use it and kind of escape sometimes bad losses. But in Fisher, random chess just you don't really control you don't have this kind of control over the situation it's still interesting uh, but it's more like fun you know it's it's not something that you're going to play and use in your future career there are a few tournaments and uh, I enjoy it very much but still at this point I should just jump in real quick to explain that we reached the hotel and finished the interview sitting in the lobby. So you, you don't see um, Chess 960, uh, for, for example, uh, growing to, to become uh, more, more established or more, more widely played among, among uh, grandmasters? I don't think so. I mean, it's interesting, it's fun, you don't have all the theoretical lines, but still. It's uh, it's not considered to be serious, and I don't think it will, you know, substitute for the classical chess. So Kostenyuk, uh, having a fine result in the rapid, finishing plus two, losing only to Nakamura, but on balance, the the queens were pretty well crushed. Uh, Hikaru posted a nine and a half out of ten score, and uh, Ben Feingold seven and a half out of ten. Uh, with Arnold and, and Stoppa both uh, finishing with six, and even Kevin Cow uh, outperformed his rating. Um, I caught up with, with Mark Arnold, uh, international master, young guy, just finished high school and is taking a year off before going to college to try the European circuit a bit. I haven't really played Chess 960 before, except a few practice games with uh, Jacek Stoppa, and 
that's about it. So I was coming into the game not knowing it at all. I'm not big on like theory, so I think it really helps me from that standpoint. You tr just try to get a feel of the position right away. There's no theory or anything to memorize. I was on really good form. Yasik Stopo was on good form. Ben played incredibly, and Hikaru's Hikaru. Uh, a lot of players on the men's team have good feel for um, positions, and I think that that really helped us in the long run. Like Ben went 5-0 in Chess 960, he'd never played it before. Tell me a little bit about your, uh, your plans for this gap year. Yeah, sure. So I'm playing uh, two tournaments in uh, Hungary. The first one's going to start uh, the 1st of October. And then I'm going to come back home, play in the Spice Cup, and then go back to Europe and play in some more tournaments. That's the, the, the first Saturday tournament. Yeah, yeah. That's a place where a lot of uh, aspiring grandmasters go to, to earn norms. Yeah. You're going for your first still? Yeah, still my first norm. <laughs> Hopefully I can finally get it. <laughs> But you've been close. Yeah, yeah, like three or four times already this summer. I've just been told it's a matter of time, so I'll just play and... I guess the norms will come to me, hopefully. <laughs> As you're uh, 18 now, right? Yeah. So obviously you've you've won a lot of uh, scholastic events. But um, is this is this sort of your your best uh, payday as as a quote unquote professional? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, nothing comes even close to this. So I I love this tournament. St. Louis is a great place. Anytime they invite me back, I'll be happy to uh, join. <laughs> Sounds like a nice kid. Uh, yeah, sounds like a lovely guy, and it, it sounds as well like he's got a pretty good chance of uh, picking up three grandmaster norms on his way around. Coming back to the point about uh, Chess 960 that uh, well, Kostenyuk raised, there's a dearth of, of events, uh, certainly events where there would be high-level players. Do you think that, uh, that Chess 960 has a future, or is it always going to be one of, sort of a novelty chess variant? Well, you know what, Macaulay? What, something that Mark Arnold just mentioned there is that um, in order to play good Chess 960, I think you need a good feel for chess. If you feel where the pieces are going to be best set, you know, straight away, you've got to be on your guard. And I, I think that's really good, personally, although I think it's still in its infancy and it's going to take a while to really take off. I, I don't think it will ever overtake classical chess. But why, why not have some big tournaments in it? Well, the players I've spoken to really like it, and it's, and it's because of this overload of theory that's required, especially in classical chess nowadays. Uh, whereas with Chess 960, you just come, you sit down at the board, and you play the game. I mean, some guys, I mean, Nakamura has said that he's looked at Chess 960 theory, but that's really uh, unusual, I mean, for, for many players, and, and I don't think Nakamura certainly uh, goes into any given game uh, looking at any, any Chess 960 positions because the odds of it coming up on the board are, of course, very, very small. So it's more of a sort of having a general sense of the kinds of positions that can can develop whether or not you have the bishops in the center or in the corner for example um, but pretty much you can throw all of modern day theory out the window and and yet it's still real chess i mean as you said Stephen, within 10 or 15 moves the position tends to develop back into a normal game so it's not like you're adding any pieces you're not changing any rules fundamentally changing the nature of the game uh, it just is a way to to kind of uh, level the playing field from the start and uh, as you 
said, Lawrence, uh, uh, bring out more uh, kind of natural talent and general chess understanding or the mechanics. Well, I, you know, given, given all the things that you guys have said, I think there's a lot of potential for this. And I agree that it's, it's probably not going to overtake chess in the foreseeable future. But we could be talking for, for generations to come that chess is, would almost be pretty much worked out for top players where they might get good enough that they just draw with each other every game. That time may come, and hopefully by then they'll be playing chess 960 on a regular basis. There is the practical question uh, in tournament play of how do you select the starting position. Mainz had their system that they developed. Now, of course, there's a chess 960 clock made by DGT that will select the starting position, and then you can use the clock oh, wow. uh, to uh, to also time the match. In St. Louis, they took uh, kind of a novel approach. I uh, have a, a quick uh, clip with the arbiter, Chris Bird, who was involved in devising strategies for selecting the starting position. So here's Chris who, I should add, originally hails from Hull in Yorkshire. That's near me. For our last round, we used the roulette wheel again, except slightly modified, because Grandmaster Yasser Saruan was uh, spinning the wheels, so we introduced his Saruan chess pieces, uh, the hawk and the elephant. And uh, if he'd have landed on either of those pieces, the, the hawk would have been either, he could choose either a knight or a bishop, or uh, the elephant, he could choose either a rook or a knight. But once again, we started at A1, and whatever he spun determined the starting positions for, for our games. The roulette wheel, they'll, they'll never get rid of, obviously. Because they should they, definitely save that. Yes, yeah, the roulette wheel looks, looks wonderful. And actually, the roulette wheel was, was designed by um, Jennifer Shardy and Larry List, who, and Larry List was the curator of the uh, museum display that they, they have on right now. I've got to tell you, Macaulay, he doesn't quite sound like a Yorkshireman anymore. No, it takes a little Yankee twang coming from. Just the other way around. The Yankee's the dominant accent there, and you can hear a bit of Yorkshire in him still. Nice. You can hear much more from Chris Bird uh, describing how each round's position was selected on our Facebook page, and even see some video that's at facebook.com forward slash the FEB. Superb. I should also add that this uh, tournament was organized in part to celebrate the opening of a new World Chess Hall of Fame, which is just across the street from the Chess Club and Scholastic Center. The opening event was the unveiling of a Boy Scouts merit badge. The Boy Scouts of America, of course, a big youth organization, so we can expect a lot more kids who might otherwise not be exposed to chess uh, learning about it and trying to win that merit badge. And they even got to, one of them at least, even got to participate in the selection of the first round's starting position. Great stuff. Well, I will be heading next down to Bilbao for the Grand Slam final, the fourth of those tournaments in Bilbao, which, uh, of course, uh, they play the first half in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and uh, then the second half down in Bilbao. So we'll talk about that and other events coming up in the Chess World, European Club Cup in Slovenia. We'll uh, see what else is on the radar screen next month. Superb. Looking forward to it already. All right, and now the liability of doing an interview after I've had two glasses of wine and a cognac is that I need you to repeat the first two rounds because I wasn't recording. <laughs> no, something about a Boy Scout. <laughs> so we, 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 we took the Boy Scout and we chopped him up into little pieces. <laughs> 
and depending on what letter he shouted in pain was where we placed the piece. <laughs> like, ah! <laughs>